I'm Zanini Rasmus. Welcome to another episode of The Weekly Wrap, a podcast in which we tell you about some of the top news and articles featured in the latest edition of Farmers Weekly magazine, as well as the trending topics for the week from our online and social media platforms. Last week, I already discussed some of the features in the 19 and 26 June combined issue, um, in which we focus specifically on poultry produ production. This issue will still be on shelf until the end of June. One of the articles that I did not talk about last week is the profile piece on Sievis van der Horst, last year's Toyota New Harvest winner. Van der Horst grew up as the son of a farm worker, but managed to work his way up to become a farmer in his own right and an exporter of quality fruit like apples and pears. In 2006, Van der Horst took charge of the 1,165 hectare Lofontein farm just outside of Verliersdorf. And since he started farming on Lofontein, Van der Horst says in the article that he has really focused on improving what was there and on putting better farm and orchard management practices in place. And just to illustrate what he has achieved, one block of golden delicious apples on the farm that was producing roughly 47 tons per hectare when he took over the farm yielded almost double that. That's roughly 90 tons per hectare in 2019. Van der Horst says in the article that he plans to take the farm from an economic unit of about 45 hectares to 60 hectares over the next five years. He also discusses in this article his turnaround strategy for the farm, which he says is based on the importance of getting the basics right. I want to dedicate most of our time during this podcast to the interview we will have with our guest, Wondile Shlobo. But before that, let's quickly look at some of the most popular stories from the Farmers Weekly website this week. The Agricultural Business Chamber announced that the AgBiz IDC Agribusiness Confidence Index fell from the neutral 50-point mark in the first quarter of the year to 39 points in the second quarter, which is the lowest level this index has recorded since the 2009 financial crisis. This sharp decline in business confidence has been attributed to the impact of the coronavirus disease global pandemic. And according to Agbiz, it is an indication that despite improved output and export earnings, agribusinesses were still downbeat about prevailing business conditions in South Africa. Also, the 10 sub-indices that make up the index all showed a significant decline in the second quarter of the year, with most of these reaching their lowest level since 2009. And this followed despite the fact that South Africa's agriculture and food sector has for the most part been operational during the lockdown period. Moving on to just a bit more positive news, we report on the global growing trend in home farming. As COVID-19 continues to put strain on the global food supply chain, more and more people around the world are turning to producing their own food. Farming supply retailers in many countries have reported an increase in the sales of homegrown starter supplies, with many people citing rising food prices and supply shortages due to COVID-19 as the reason for trying their hand at food production. The trend has become particularly popular in countries like Lebanon, the US, and in Singapore, 
where one company reported a 50% increase in the sale of seeds since the start of the worldwide lockdown regulations. Now we welcome Wandila Shlobo, Chief Economist at Agbas, who is here to talk about his new book. Hello, Wandile. Thanks for joining us. Um, well, I'm happy to speak to you today about your book, Finding Common Ground, Land Equity in Agriculture, um, which is said to be launched officially on the 23rd of June next week. Firstly, congratulations on the book, Wandile. I really enjoyed reading it. Thank you so very much. And thanks for the opportunity to chat about it uh, in this platform on Farmers Weekly. No, we're happy to have you. And, you know, I just have to say, I really think the book was so well curated and you know because even though it consists of a collection of essays written on different subjects over a number of years I, there's really a logical flow and progression to the book uh, which makes it a really enjoyable read and I just felt you know having myself been writing about agriculture for the last 10 years or so um, I really felt that your essays as they were presented in this book were for me also a reflection of and it's kind of a reminder of things that I've been writing about in the past and you know I think my first impression of the book was just that I often feel so frustrated when I look back and I think that too little has changed in the agricultural sector over the last decade or so. But by reading this book and, and having all the information gathered together, it really is clear that while progress in development and transformation has been slow, there definitely has been some progress made. Is this also one of the sort of impressions that you were left with looking back at these essays? Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Denine, for that uh, wonderful uh, feedback on the on the book. I mean, I, I had uh, uh, in my mind uh, uh, two things when I was thinking also just uh, now stepping back a little bit on the writing of the book. Because one of the things that I was thinking about was this idea of saying, how do we capture the agricultural economic history of a particular moment? which is why I had to think back to say, you know, since 2017, 16, what, what sort of a discussion has actually been happening in the sector and uh, both on a, on, on a technical side and also on a policy side and how evolution has actually been in, in a number of, pro of programs that have been put in place, how have they evolved over time? And to the point then that you're making, I mean, th there, there is some progress in certain places. Perhaps maybe we don't put much of a highlight on some of the good developments that are happening, or maybe we get overlapped by some of the negative stories that might come now and then. But I think there is somewhat a balance. Uh, you look at a granular level of industries like uh, the livestock sector, the examples I mentioned of the guys in the Eastern Cape by the human stop, uh, that what they're doing on a citrus sector and all of those things. So there is some bit of progress um, in the sector looking back just the past five years about what was done then and what is happening um, at, at today both on a transformation perspective, but I also think that just generally on an output perspective on agriculture and also on a policy evolution. That's the sense that I got as I was revising and looking back on some of the essays and the discussions that had been happening over this period. Um, Wandila, yes, just following up on that and, and before we get into a bit of a discussion about some of the specific content in the book, 
Um, I was just wondering, you know, you, you are one of the most prolific writers on agricultural matters in this country. So how did you even start to decide what to leave out and what to include in this book and which topics to highlight? Uh, thanks for that. Uh, Danine, that was a, a difficult one um, on, on saying which topics to highlight, because, I mean, one puts out a lot of work uh, week in, week out, depending on what are some of the things that are that, that, are, that, are, that are happening at the moment. But I think that thinking about the book, I had to step back and say, what are the major themes that are important when one thinks about agricultural development in South Africa in general? And obviously, uh, the issue around about uh, youth, uh, the issue around about women, the issue around about transformation, uh, now meaning more Africans being involved in, in farming, that's the diversity matter that still lacks and that is important. So I had to highlight both of those three of those of those aspects. But obviously, the transformation one coming through on a land reform in a number of lenses, but also um, on the diversity one, which is the gender and the, and the youth coming on in different steps, both on farming and also in a job space. That was one of the other themes. But also when one evaluates the agricultural economy in South Africa in terms of growth perspective, you, you look back and you say, what has actually made us to see the gains that we have seen? Uh, you look at South Africa's agricultural sector in terms of volume from now compared to 1994, the output has more than doubled. And the key things that were fundamental on that was the technological innovations and adoptions that are happening, both on a biological side and also on a technical side and a technical side. But I also on a mechanical side. But I also think that the other thing was uh, the story of trade uh, uh, that, that was added onto those technology developments, because as we got more integrated to the world and uh, got to be able to export our products in a number of markets. South African farmers and agribusinesses, they really increased their production and they stepped up their game to make sure that they service these markets. As we speak today, Denine, roughly about half of what we produce in, in value terms goes to export markets. And I think that compelled me then to discuss the issues around about trade and um, to be also prominent with, within the book. So I would say that the thinking of around then the, 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 the topics to highlight was fundamentally influenced by those things to say, what are the major drivers or what are the major policy shifts or major uh, a, a technical, technological adoption that we have seen driving growth or changing the conversation on agriculture over the past few years. And then the book had to select those themes and make sure that those will be the various chapters that will be covered uh, on this book. As I said at the start, I, I wanted the book to capture the agricultural economic history of a particular moment. So all of those topics that were fundamental at this time, we had to make sure that we cover those. Thanks, Mandela. I think you definitely succeeded in doing that. And the book is an important addition to sort of the, the body of literature that we have available on agriculture in this country, especially also because, you know, the, the style of writing is so accessible and um, you don't need to be someone who knows a lot about the background and the development of these issues to, to really appreciate the, these essays and enjoy reading them. Um, but I want to get into, just quickly into some of the content, um, some of the chapters of the book. So a large part of the book is dedicated to essays on um, what has and still is probably one of the most important debates within the agricultural landscape, um, you know, for the last 24 years. And that is, that's on land reform 
and especially on the development of policies around land reform directing that program. And, you know, my impression after reading these essays in the book is that even though we might suffer from, you know, sometimes from policy and program fatigue when it comes to land reform, to see it succeed, we really need to focus on fixing the policy space as well as implementation. Because I know, you know, up until now, a popular take in the land reform debate has been to say that the weakness was more on the implementation side. But what I've taken from your book is that, you know, in many cases, poorly drafted policies have really contributed to less effective implementation. But also that doesn't mean we have to go back to the drawing board completely because many valuable lessons have been learned. Um, so so then my question, Wandili, those policies that have now been tabled um, since the, the report that you produced within the Presidential Advisory Panel on Land Reform and Agriculture, for example, the policy, the draft policies on the selection of beneficiaries. Um, looking back now and reflecting, do you think that these new new policies coming out of the department, are they a step in the right direction? Yeah, th thanks, Deneen. I mean, uh, if you rightly put it, uh, nearly half of the book uh, is about the, the, the evolution of the discussion on land reform in South Africa. And obviously, while not covering largely the historical perspective, again, capturing the, the moment, the recent discussions to say what has really been happening. And I would agree with you in the sense that uh, to a large extent, I mean, we, we have crafted as a country some right ideas or some conducive ideas for, for the sector on a land reform, but the uptake uh, has been the one that has been lacking. I mean, you think back, for example, in 2012, when the NDP was released, Chapter 6 uh, painted some of the most, uh, you know, compelling ideas that needed an action plan to be able to put those uh, in, in place. And there was not a lot of uh, push uh, behind that. Um, and now coming back to the situation of now when we produced the, the, the report uh, for the president and, uh, and and the policies that followed through that, I would say that the Department of Agriculture is taking some, I mean, the one that you're mentioning, beneficiary selection criteria, is an important one because since 1994 up until to today, it wasn't very clear on who gets to benefit land reform, particularly redistribution part, because land tenure, it is clear, you claim, you do all of the processes, but on redistribution, there wasn't a clear formula there. So I think what we were able to produce there was a great contribution, but also in a sense that in, in that selection criteria, it also uh, highlights uh, the, the certain bias that needs to be given to young people, to women who have uh, for a long time been at the receiving end of some of these uh, benefits. If one looks at the research that is coming up from various institutions, highlighting who exactly is benefiting uh, a lot from land reform. So I think that was one of the important things. But obviously the other one is around the land donations policy. Uh, we hear a lot of people who say they want to donate land, but they don't really know what method they should use. We said, suggested that, that that policy should come up. A draft policy has been out for people to comment. So there is a bit of progress on some of the ideas that we have put in place there. But I do think though that now having this conversation during a pandemic, as we are thinking about post COVID-19 recovery in South Africa, we will have to revisit some of the ideas and say perhaps maybe some will need to be put on a shelf or out of the table and tweak some certain ideas to fit the moment. Uh, because the one thing that we need now is really investments flowing on on agriculture so that we may be able to see growth, um, may be able to see further development and job creation. So I think that is not important. 
or we will need to have to relook those ideas. Either they were pushed from an economic perspective or political perspective of that moment before the COVID-19. I think that's the discussion that the lawmakers will pretty much have to have soon. Thanks, Mandile. And so just because our time is running out and, and because you mentioned it, I'm going to jump to Chapter 6, um, which is closely related in theme to your essays on land reform. Um, so in this chapter, you focus specifically on agricultural development. And maybe, you know, let's start talking about those mega trends that you mentioned here that, that will affect the future of agriculture here in South Africa and also in the rest of Africa. Um, so you mentioned the, the youth bulge, climate change and other environmental risks, the telecommunication revolution, infrastructure, technology, demographics, which includes trends like urbanization. So the so question here, do you think year, that, you know, given the development over the last few months and with the pandemic, do we need to revise this list? Has the pandemic changed the way that we need to approach agricultural development or do these trends still stand? I think those trends, are Deneen, still stands. If anything, some of them, they've been accelerated. Uh, the technology one that you, you are mentioning now, for example, it has been accelerated. Uh, uh, and they will actually even gain further momentum in the coming months. If you look in the U.S., for example, as well as parts of Europe, the shortage of that farmers there experienced because of the pandemic has led many of them now to think to say they should uh, automate as fast and as best as we as they can those that have capital. And then if that happens in Europe with time it will diffuse to the african continent and it will start in countries like south africa who are relatively well resourced uh, in terms of the agriculture development compared to the rest of the continent and the question then we need to be asking ourselves is that if that technology the automation side takes place what does that mean for the agricultural labor market as well as some of our aspirations that we have to have agriculture being one of the industries that will be driving job creation and all of those things. And I mean, I hypothesize and saying, look, we probably have the next decade to get as many people working on primary agriculture. But if we miss this current decade, thereafter, technology will be the key thing that will actually be driving um, the side of agriculture, while obviously the value will still be there, but the jobs prospects might not be as strong as, as what we currently have now. So certainly those don't change, but some of them, I think they are accelerated uh, by this pandemic. Yeah, thanks, Wendila. Just before I let you go, um, who should read this book? I think the book is to be read by everyone. Um, either you are a policymaker, there are messages for you. Um, if you are a student or you are a young farmer or a young person, I'll be delighted if you can spend time uh, reading that book because what it does, it offers you uh, the day-to-day -day thinking of agriculture or from my view about what are some of the things that we are discussing in agricultural sector. But obviously, if you are a farmer, it will also be important, particularly tracing back the evolution of all of these uh, policies and about how they af affect and influence you, but also just as a way of remembering the contribution that you make, because there are some uh, pages there that are dedicated or highlighting the gains that we do get from the farming community. So this is a book for everyone, because in the back of my mind, I had my mother as I was writing to say, I need to make some of the things as clear as they can so that her, as she's not in agriculture, but she can be able to read the book and get a sense of what is it, this message that I'm trying to get across. 
thanks Wandile and thanks for joining us at the weekly wrap. Again, congratulations on the book and good luck with the official launch next week. Thank you so very much. If you want to join the webinar for the virtual launch of Wandile Shishlobo's book, which will take place on Tuesday, 23 June, the details on how to join are available on our website. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Weekly Wrap. Please listen again next week when I will talk about the 3 and 10 July issue of Farmers Weekly, which places the spotlight on those investment decisions that have paid off well for farmers in the last five years or so. In the meantime, remember to follow us on social media for all the latest farming news and updates. We are on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn at Farmers Weekly SA. Stay safe and happy farming.